the famous evangelist Billy Graham likes to tell a story. Uh, one time when he went into a village to preach in the local church, um, he wanted to send uh, some mail and so he went up to a young boy and asked the boy the way to the post office and the boy uh, showed him the way and so Billy Graham said to the young boy, um, thank you very much uh, and if you'd like to come to church tonight, I'm going to show you the way uh, to get to heaven. The young boy replied quite audaciously, no, I don't think I'll be there. He said, you don't even know the way to get to the post office. (laughs) Now, if there are people here tonight who think that church is just uh, the way to get to heaven, the place where you find the way to get to heaven, uh, you're in for a bit of a rude shock. Uh, Church isn't a place, it's actually a people. Uh, It's a body of people who have faith in Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're looking at Jesus and church. Uh, We're looking at how faith uh, in Jesus radically transforms our relationships, uh, not only with God, but uh, with one another in community. Uh, And in our passage tonight, Paul is saying that um, we're not only united with God, he's saying we're deeply united with one another. We won't just be united in the future, he's saying we're united in the present. But of course, um, if you come to church, uh, you might see a very different picture sometimes. You see Christians who don't necessarily live like they have unity. G.K. Chesterton, a famous uh, Christian uh, defender of the faith, uh, said um, quite famously that the only good argument against Christianity is Christians. Uh, What he's saying is that in most cases the reason people don't come to faith, uh, the reasons people don't come to church, it's not because of Christ he's saying. It's because of Christians, Christians behaving badly. So if we're to uh, know and live out the unity uh, that we have in Jesus, uh, Paul says in this passage we need to remember our former disunity, know our new unity and know the depth of our new, of our new unity. Uh, so we'll look at, those passage, at our passage under those headings. Uh, firstly, remember our former disunity Secondly, know our new unity. Thirdly, know the depth of our new unity. Let's go. Uh, In the first part of our passage, Paul is saying that apart from Jesus, Christians are disunited. Uh, To hammer home the point, he talks about two racial groups uh, who would have been in the Ephesian church. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Uh, Paul is talking about Jews, people who call themselves the circumcised. And he's talking about Gentiles, non-Jews, people who the Jews called the uncircumcised. And in this part of the letter, Paul is addressing uh, the Gentile Christians in the Ephesian church. He says to them, remember. Remember at one stage you were excluded. Now, maybe uh, you know something about being excluded. Maybe you were excluded from uh, the cool group at school. Uh, Maybe as you grew up you were excluded from that trendy nightclub, maybe you weren't wearing the right shoes. Uh, Or perhaps more recently you were uh, excluded from the wedding reception of the year. Uh, But if you were a Gentile living in the first uh, century, um, you would have felt deeply, deeply excluded uh, from the Jews. Their laws would have prevented you from really going near them uh, socially. Uh, You couldn't eat with a Jew, you couldn't marry a Jew, Uh, But worst of all, they would have excluded you religiously. You couldn't go near to their God. 
Uh, in the inner court of the temple in Jerusalem, uh, there was a wall uh, that divided the uh, inner court uh, from the outer court um, and it divided really the Jews from the rest of the world, the Jewish God from the rest of the world. And on every archway uh, leading through the wall, historians have found evidence that there was, there was a sign that said, no, foreigner, no foreigners allowed on the pain of death. Uh, and in verses 11 and 12, Paul wants the Gentile Christians to, just to know how excluded they were. Why don't you look with me? Uh, he says, you were excluded from the Jews and their God. He says, you were separate from their Christ, the promised Jewish king, the person uh, through whom God would bring salvation. Paul says, you were excluded from citizenship in, in Israel, excluded, he says, uh, from the people who had special access to God. And Paul says you were foreigners to the Jewish covenant, foreigners to the special relationship that existed between God and his people based on promises. So Paul says in verse 12, apart from Jesus, Gentiles were without hope and without God in the world. Apart from Jesus, Jews and Gentiles had no unity. The law excluded the Gentiles. And to make matters worse, the Gentiles and Jews bitterly hated each other. Uh, the Gentiles looked down on the Greeks. They weren't cultured like the yeah, looked down on the Jews. They weren't cultured like the Greeks. Uh, they weren't powerful like the Romans. Um, but also, the Jews looked down on the Gentiles. Why? Because of the law. And we say, wasn't the law a good thing? Wasn't it supposed to separate the Jews from Gentiles? Well, yes, it was. Um, it was supposed to make the Jews a light to the Gentiles by the very different way that they lived. But instead of being a light, the law made the Jews. Uh, the law, I guess, was a wall of fire instead of a light. It made the Jews proud. It made the Jews hostile to the Gentiles. Before Jesus, the law was not just a dividing wall. We see there in verse 14 over the page, it was a dividing wall of hostility. But look at the change that happened when Jesus died on the cross um, in verse 13. He says, Once you were excluded, but now, verse 13, now in Christ Jesus you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. It's because of Jesus, says Paul, that Gentile Christians are brought near to God. It's because of Jesus that Gentiles now can have unity with Jews. And Paul says, Remember. Remember, apart from Jesus, uh, you had disunity with God and disunity with the Jews. Um, we should remember the same, friends. We should remember the same. Without Jesus, you and I were excluded from God and his people. Without Jesus, we were disunited, but in Jesus, we're united. Without Jesus, we were far away, but in Jesus, we've been brought near. Remember this, says Paul, and that's point number one. Remember your former disunity. Secondly, says Paul, know our new unity. Now, if the Jews and the Gentiles hated one another as they did, uh, verse 13 raises a problem, doesn't it? Gentiles are going to be brought near to the Jews, uh, but how is that possible? If you've ever hosted a dinner party uh, and you've invited two people who absolutely hate each other, you might know something of this problem. You can't enjoy yourself, can you, when those two people are sort of fighting with one another, they're hostile to one another? There needs to be reconciliation, there needs to be peace. But how is there going to be that peace? The answer is, verse 14, Jesus. He himself is our peace. 
And that word peace means an end to hostility. Now, we know it's uh, one thing to have peace, but it's another thing to have unity. You know, two nations um, can have peace with one another. They might stop fighting, but that doesn't mean that they have unity. But Paul says in verse 14 that Jesus has made Jews and Gentiles one. He has united them. So now two questions. How is the peace achieved and where is the unity received? How is the peace achieved and where is the unity received? Still in the point two. First, how is the point how is the peace achieved? Look at verse fourteen. Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. How? Verse fifteen. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Uh, he did this in his flesh, which means in his death on the cross. So friends, you see, Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled all the parts of the law that excluded the Gentiles from coming near to God and not only that his death showed not only the Jews but uh, not only the Gentiles but the Jews as well that the law was not the way to salvation showed Jewish Christians that they couldn't achieve their salvation they could only receive it and so look at verse 16 Paul says the Jews also needed to be reconciled to God Uh, verse 17 it says Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away that's the Gentiles but peace to those who were near that's the Jews And so Jesus' death humbled the Jews. It took away their superiority and pride in the law and so it destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And so that's how peace was achieved. Second, where is the unity received? Well, if Jesus brings the Gentiles near, does that mean that uh, the Gentiles have been brought into the Jewish nation? Uh, Recently, uh, Minister Paul Dale uh, became a citizen of the Australian nation. Uh, he signed the papers, he swore the, oath, swore the oath and now he has the right to vote uh, which of course um, from Paul Dale's perspective means the right to vote for his favourite contestant in Australian Idol. But Paul isn't talking here about Gentiles becoming citizens of a Jewish nation. Paul says in verse 14, Jesus has made the two one. He has brought Jews and Gentiles together to make a brand new nation, a new humanity And look at verse 16. It's in this one new body that peace is achieved. It's in this one new body that Jews and Gentiles are reconciled, not just reconciled uh, with God, but actually reconciled with one another. And what is this one new body? What is this one new body in which unity has been achieved? You guessed it, it's the church. It's in the new people of God, the church, that peace and unity has been achieved. Verse 15 says that Jesus' very purpose in dying on the cross, uh, the, the reason he united the Jewish Christians with Gentile Christians, uh, Gentile Christians with Jewish Christians was to create the church. And I want to encourage us to let that sink in for a moment. It's in this body, this church, uh, that Christ has achieved peace and unity peace and unity with Christians, not only here but peace and unity with Christians all around the world. And did you notice that peace is present tense? Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, says Paul. And if you want to uh, cast your eyes over to uh, chapter 4 verse 3 on the same page, 828, Paul says, make every effort not to achieve the unity of the Spirit. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, the, the unity we already have, friends. And the church actually has unity now with God and unity now with one another. 
But of course it's sometimes hard to believe that. Have you ever wondered why uh, we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the church? Has that struck you as odd? You know, you come to a place like this, you see the church and you say, what's to believe? Here's the church. Uh, but actually it, is, it does take faith to believe in the church because Paul is saying we are united now and yet Christians don't always live like that. Christians around the world, Christians uh, in this city, Christians in this church uh, don't always, do we? We don't always live like we have unity and we, re- we erect dividing walls of hostility. Maybe there's someone in this church who uh, you don't like. Maybe there's someone in this church who you avoid. Someone who um, you just can't help yourself but you're always talking about them behind uh, their back. And if that's you, if that's you, don't you see that you're not actually living uh, in accordance with the unity that you already have? Don't you see you're actually undermining the very purpose for which Jesus Christ died on the cross? Verse 15, Jesus died to make you one. That person you don't like, Jesus Christ died for them just as much as he died for you. We have unity. We have peace. And so don't let pride stand in the way of uh, living according to the peace that you already have. Remember, remember, Jesus died to achieve unity in the church and that's our second point. Know that unity and live according to it. Finally, know the depth of our unity. Know the depth of our unity. If you're a Christian here tonight, you've been given access to the greatest privileges in the whole universe in the church. Look at me again. Verse 13 says, You who were once far off have been brought near. Verse 16 says, In the one new body of Christ we've been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. And verse 18 says, I'll speak louder to try to overcome the rain. (laughs) And verse 18 says, Through Jesus we have access to the Father by one spirit. It's in the church, in the church that we have unity with God and unity with one another. And to help us understand the depth of this unity that we have, Paul says in verses uh, 19 to 22, uh, he gives us three images, three metaphors if you like, to flesh out that depth. First Paul says, uh, verse 19, you're no longer aliens and strangers but fellow citizens. If you're a Christian, says Paul, you're a citizen of God's heavenly kingdom. You're one of the people of God. Recently, or rather last year, um, a team of us from uh, Church by the Bridge went to Ethiopia and we spent uh, some of our time over there um, hanging out with some farmers uh, from a little village uh, in the hills outside of the capital, Addis Ababa. And um, what struck me, I guess, was that I had absolutely nothing in common uh, with those people. Uh, and, but yet, um, you know, I, I guess I didn't know what made them tick, I didn't know what they feared, I didn't know what they loved and yet when I saw them dancing and when I saw them singing uh, and talking to one another about Jesus, I realised something, it actually struck me, I have more in common with this person who I can't even speak with, Uh, I'm more at one with this person than I am with my best friends from school, they're fellow citizens, we're fellow citizens with Christians, says Paul. Uh, That's one level of unity, but it it actually goes deeper. Uh, Verse 19, Paul says, If you're a Christian, you're fellow members of God's household. The people of this church are a family. God's the father. Uh, Jesus is the older brother, and that makes us brothers and sisters. Uh, Christians are fellow citizens. Christians are a family. Uh, But the imagery goes deeper still. Look at verse 20. Paul says, Christians are members of God's holy temple. 
picture here is of Christians uh, being uh, as massive stones being built together into a gigantic temple. Paul says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Um, you know, that's the disciples, that's the apostle Paul. It's through those people that we've been given God's word in the New Testament. Uh, it's through them that, that we know Jesus uh, and his teaching uh, and how he wants us to live. Again in verse 20, Paul says we've been built on Christ as the chief cornerstone. And as the cornerstone, Jesus not only supports every single Christian in this church, he also sets the direction of the whole church building itself. Christians look to Jesus to know how to live and we're guided by his spirit. And so it's in him that the whole church building is joined together. But look at verse 22. Did you notice that the building isn't static? It's dynamic. It isn't finished, says Paul. We're still being built together built together to become a holy, uh, a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And did you also notice in verse 22 the reference to the Trinity? Uh, Paul says, in him, Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God the Father lives by his spirit. God himself is a community. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and from the beginning of time, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit have been pouring out love into one another, glorifying one another, serving one another living uh, as a perfect community. And so I want to say to you, friends, that if you want to know this God intimately, this God who himself is a community, you've got to do it in the context of a Christian community. You see, it's one level of unity for God to dwell like a king among his subjects. Uh, It's another level of unity uh, for a father, God to dwell like a father uh, among his family. But I guess it's the deepest level of unity for God to dwell in this temple by his spirit like blood indwells a body. Friends, you can't know this God intimately by just turning up every Sunday and taking notes. Um, If you only know God outside of a community, you're only just scratching the surface. Yes, you are a Christian, but you're not really taking hold of the amazing privileges that are on offer. And I want to suggest that to know God intimately We need to become deeply involved in church community uh, by becoming uh, deeply accountable to one another and by sharing our relationship with God, with one another. So first we're going to be be like stones in the temple. Uh, Stones are deeply accountable to one another, aren't they? If one stone shakes, all the other stones around it shake. If one stone falls, the stones above it fall. And if we are stones in God's holy temple... We're going to li- and we want to live like it, we need to actually let others in to our lives. Hebrews 3.13 tells all Christians to encourage one another daily so that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. But friends, others can't encourage you unless you let them into your life. Now, of course, we can't do this with everyone. Uh, you know, to use the analogy of the stones, uh, the stones aren't intimately uh, around, uh, associated with or bound to uh, one another uh, in the temple. Um, we, but we do. But every single stone is surrounded by stones, intimately, deeply, closely. And so I want to ask: Are there people in this church who you've let into your life? Are there people who know you well enough that they know their beset, they know the besetting sins of you, either because you've told them about your besetting sins, or because they know you so well that they can actually see them? 
And have you given them a green light? Have you given them a hunting licence to come after you and talk to you and ask you about the things that are causing you to stumble? Like stones in the temple, we're going to be deeply accountable to one another, but also like a people in whom God dwells. Uh, we've, got to be, uh, we've got to share our relationship uh, with God, with one another. Do you notice uh, what Paul says in verse 22? He doesn't just say that God indwells us as individual stones, although that might technically be true. He says that God indwells us together. It's together, it's as we meet and pray together that God indwells us by his spirit. And this means, obviously, it's very important that we meet together. It's very important that we do meet together at church, that we meet together in BFG, that we meet together in prayer meetings. But being members of God's temple is, uh, is actually far more than attending formal meetings. Uh, we need to actually share with one another how we relate to God. Um, do you remember when the disciples uh, asked Jesus, Jesus, how do we relate to God? Jesus said to them, this is how you're to relate. You're to pray like this, my Father in heaven. He didn't say that, did he? He said, our Father in heaven. See, friends, it's together that, we re- that we're to relate to God. Now, I know that this is actually pretty hard, especially for guys, to actually share your relationship with God, uh, with one another. Um, but it's actually as we relate together that we're becoming the holy, uh, the place in which God dwells by his spirit. Uh, C.S. Lewis um, explains this. He recalls in a book, um, The Four Loves, how one of his best friends died. Uh, he calls his friend uh, in the book Charles. It's not his real name. But as, and as tragic as that was, C.S. Lewis uh, says that even though Charles has gone now, at least I'll get to spend more time with my other best friend, Ronald. But what C.S. Lewis begins to realise um, is that rather than having more of Ronald now that Charles is dead, he actually has less of Ronald. And he goes on to explain why. He says, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can bring out. He says, I want other lights than my own to show all my friends' facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, I have less of Ronald. Do you see what he's saying? What he's realised in friendship is actually if by having more friends, that brings out uh, more in the individual. He's saying, if this is true of friendship, how much more is it also true of our relationships with God? What he's saying is that other Christians will give you a perspective on God that by yourself you could never know. And therefore, says Lewis, says the more you share your relationship with God, with one another, the more of God you'll have. Isn't that amazing? So friends, I want to ask you, why wouldn't you do this? Why wouldn't you take hold of the privileges that are on offer here in the church? Why wouldn't you share your relationship with God, with one another? I want to encourage you to meet with one another, speak to one another with, um, about God. Speak to one another what God has been teaching you. Read the Bible together. Pray with one another. Talk about the sermon. You know, it's a great thing to talk about the weather and the, and the wallabies um, at, you know, at the end of the service. But, you know, you're wasting valuable time. <laughs> Share your relationship with God, with one another. So remember our former disunity and exclusion. 
know our new unity with God and with one another which has been bought at the most precious of prices, the death of Jesus, and know the depth of our new unity. Make the most of it, says Paul. Keep the spirit of unity and live now not only as citizens of God's kingdom, not only as members of God's household, but as members of God's holy, glorious temple. Let's pray.